We're in a study on the Beatitudes uh, taught by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, for eight weeks total, uh, we're taking a closer look at what the Beatitudes are, what they represent, what Jesus was really teaching. And I would say this morning that really the overarching theme for this study is joy. You know, we live in a time and a place where our culture teaches us that our happiness um, is, is really uh, determined by the circumstances in our lives. That if things are going well, you're going to be happy. And if things are not going well, you're not going to be happy. But Jesus says um, that happiness or joy really isn't determined by our circumstances. Um, it's determined by having that personal relationship with Jesus. And each beatitude gives us a different attitude or characteristic that God wants us all to have in our own lives. And he says, if you apply these to your lives, if you live this way, you're going to experience a kind of joy. Hear this church that is untouchable by the world, a kind of joy that is untouchable by, by your current circumstances in life. So today's beatitude is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. We are in week 6. Can you believe that? We've been studying the Beatitudes for six weeks. We've got a few more weeks left. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Matthew 5, verse 8. Um, if you don't, if you have your, your smartphone, you can pull that out. We'll also have the scripture on the screen this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we talked about that, that word blessed. It's the Greek word makadios. And that's where we get that, that word happy or, or joy, that kind of joy that's untouchable by the world. So Jesus is saying, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, we, we live in a time where, uh, where purity is, is talked about quite often, actually. We talk about maintaining a, a clean environment or at least striving towards that, right? You know, depending on your political party, that might be of more importance or, or maybe not so much. Um, we talk about making clean energy. You know, we want companies that make clean energy and don't pollute the environment. We, have, we talk about having clean drinking water. I mean, who wants to buy a bottle of water that's full of sand and dirt, Right. You want to buy something that you think is clean and, and pure, and that's, that's what you want to take in to your body. We, talked about, we talk about eating healthy or eating clean foods, and that was just thrown out the window this morning with what Bruce had to say. And I'll be honest, I'm not great at that. I am for a few weeks after New Year's, but that, that's about it in my life. But here, here's the thing, church. There's another kind of purity that many Americans tend to just overlook. It's something we don't talk about a lot because it, you know, it's one of those things that it kind of steps on people's toes a little bit and, and we don't like that a lot. But this is the kind of purity that Jesus is talking about and that's the purity of the heart. We've read uh, this verse in our study already, but Jeremiah 17 verse 9, it says that the human heart, my heart, your heart, all of our heart, our, the human heart is, is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And, you know, when we look at the beatitude for today, the, the word pure, it comes from the Greek word katharos. And this word literally means to cleanse from filth. So he's making that connection that we see all throughout God's word about the state of the human heart. Um, kind of who we are as, as, as people at our core. He's talking about blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are those whose hearts have been cleansed from filth, cleansed from impurity. Now, in, in the second week of our study, 
We talked about um, sin and we talked about the condition of the human heart a little bit more in depth. So if you're just joining us today, you can actually go back and re-listen to that, that sermon. It's um, the, the second message in our study, Happiness and Mourning. And you can listen to that through our podcast. So that'll give you a little bit more in-depth uh, message or lesson on that topic. But, you know, there really is a, a consistent theme throughout God's word. That, that our hearts are, are, are pretty filthy. Our hearts are pretty filthy. And, and they're in desperate need of repair. Especially if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be. If we're going to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the way that he has called us to be. A, a great verse in the book of Acts chapter 15 verse 9 says this. He made no distinction between us and them. For he cleansed their hearts. And then hear this last part. Through faith. He cleansed their hearts through faith. So again, we begin to piece the, 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 the pieces of the puzzle together and we see that to be pure in heart means that we've believed in Jesus, that we've had a change of heart, a cleansing of the heart, and we keep our hearts pure by focusing our lives on Christ, by living our lives after the pattern that God's given us in his word. To go a little bit more in depth, I think that to be pure in heart, it means having unmixed motives in our lives. That we're people of integrity, that God's building us to be people of integrity. You know, you don't, this means that you don't say one thing, maybe at church or around your family, and then you live a completely different way. That would be the opposite of what it means to be pure in heart. It means that your motives are true because you have a heart that has been cleansed and, and, and changed by Jesus. You have a heart that is learning to love Jesus. You know, Jesus, uh, he healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He, he performed countless other miracles that we, that we read about. But his focus was always on the restoration of the human heart, the innermost part of who we are as people. Now, I, when I read scripture, I think that if there was any, any one person other than Jesus who really understood this idea of being pure in heart, understood the condition of the human heart, it would have been David in the Old Testament. It would have been King David. In fact, today's beatitude, I think this is so, so neat. Today's beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, was likely taken from Psalm 24 in the Old Testament. And interestingly enough, this was a psalm that was written by David as, as praise towards God. So Psalm 24, we're just going to read five verses of this. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 5. Remember, this is, this is where this beatitude is taken from. Jesus was quoting from this Old Testament scripture, and these are the words of David. It says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's a, that's a pretty familiar verse, right? We've heard that verse before, but it, it continues. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And then there comes these two questions. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He's saying, who can be in the presence of God? And then he answers that. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or, or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. 
So when, when the connection started happening this week and, and the Lord brought me to Psalm 24, it reminded me of a song that played a huge role in my early walk with Christ. This was a song that we sang in youth group growing up. Uh, we sang at camp, and uh, it's a song that I taught to the youth groups that I had, you know, for, for 10 years plus. I love this song, and it's the song, Give Us Clean Hands. Uh, it, it's more of a contemporary worship song, but there's really just a verse, a chorus, and a short bridge, and you end up repeating those. Now, I know that for a lot of us, we don't really like to repeat things in songs, especially in worship, but I'll say this this morning, that we tend to repeat the things that are important. We tend to put on replay the things that are important in our lives. So I want to read just the, the verse and the chorus for you. It's very short. But again, this, this is such a wonderful song that this, this psalm reminded me of. It says, we bow our hearts and we bend our knees. O Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. O Lord, we cast down our idols. And then the chorus says this, give us clean hands. And give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob. This song was written by a worship leader who lives in Oklahoma City. His name is Charlie Hall. Um, he leads worship at a large church in Oklahoma City. And what's amazing is this song was written directly from Psalm 24. So it's amazing to see the connection where how Jesus was talking about what David was talking about. And then in our churches today, we're singing songs generations later about what David was talking about. You know, David is considered to be the, the greatest king of ancient Israel. And his story really does teach us a lot about what it means to be pure in heart. Now, his story is found in the Old Testament books of First and Second Samuel. So I thought what we would do this morning is something a little different um, to help illustrate his backstory for us and help kind of propel where we're, where we're headed in this message, uh, to help give us some perspective on today's beatitude. I'd like for us to watch, this. it's an amazing video that's put together by the people who work for the Bible Project. And some of these videos are available through your phones on the Bible app. You can also look them up on YouTube. But uh, this video is a little bit longer than normal, but it's so engaging. And I think it's going to help us know where we're headed in, in today's message. So let's watch this video together this morning. The books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, they're two separate books in our modern Bibles, but that division is due simply to scroll length. It was originally written as one coherent story. We're just going to cover the book of 1st Samuel in this video. So after Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt, they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai and eventually came into the promised land. And there Israel was supposed to be faithful to God and obey the covenant commands. Before the book of Samuel, judges showed how Israel failed at that task big time. It was a period of moral chaos, and it showed Israel's need for wise, faithful leaders. The book of Samuel provides an answer to that need. The book of Samuel's story focuses on three main characters, the prophet Samuel, where the book gets its name, and then King Saul, and after that, King David. And all three of them transitioned Israel from a group of tribes ruled by judges into a unified kingdom ruled by King David in Jerusalem. And the book of Samuel has a fascinating design that weaves the story of these three characters together in four main parts. 
Samuel, he's the key leader and prophet in the first section of the book, but then he also plays a key role in the next section, which is Saul's story. And it's told in two movements, Saul's rise to power and then his failures. And the second part is about his downfall and his tragic death. And then the drama of Saul's demise is matched by David's exciting rise to power. And then David's story is told in two movements. First, he rides the wave of his success, followed by his own tragic failure and the slow self-destruction of his family and then his kingdom. The book concludes with an epilogue that reflects back over the whole story. So let's dive in and see how this all unfolds. Part one picks up from the chaos of the book of Judges, and we're introduced to a touching story about a woman named Hannah. And she's grieved because she has never been able to have children. And by God's grace, she finally has a son named Samuel. And in joy, she sings this amazing poem in chapter two. And the poem is all about how God opposes the proud and exalts the humble, about how despite tragedies and human evil, God is working out his purposes in history. And also it's about how God will one day raise up an anointed king for his people. Now, Hannah's poem has been placed here at the beginning of the book to introduce these key themes that we're going to see throughout the whole story, like the next one. Samuel grows up and becomes a great prophet and leader for the people of Israel at the same time that the Philistines rise to power as Israel's arch nemesis. And in this crucial battle, the Israelites get arrogant, and instead of praying and asking God for help, they trot out the Ark of the Covenant as this kind of magic trophy that will automatically grant them victory in battle. And so because of their arrogant presumption, God allows Israel to lose the battle and the Ark is stolen. So the Philistines, they take the ark and they place it in the temple of their god, Dagon. And then the god of Israel defeats the Philistines and the god Dagon without an army by sending plagues on the people. And then the Philistines don't want the ark anymore, obviously, and they send it back to Israel. And the point of this little story seems to be this. God is not Israel's trophy. And he opposes pride among the Philistines, but also among his own people. And so Israel needs to remain humble and obedient if they want to experience God's covenant blessing, which opens up into the next large section. The Israelites come to Samuel and they say, hey, we want a king like all the other nations have. Go find one for us. And so Samuel, he's kind of ticked off and he goes to consult with God. And God says, yes, their motives are all wrong, but if a king is what they want, give them one. And so we're introduced to the figure of Saul. Now, Saul is a tragic figure because he begins full of promise. He's tall, he's good-looking, he's a perfect candidate for a king. But he has deep character flaws. He's dishonest, he lacks integrity, and he seems incapable of acknowledging his own mistakes. And so these flaws become his downfall. He wins some battles at the beginning, but his flaws run so deep, he eventually disqualifies himself by blatantly disobeying God's commands. And so the aging Samuel confronts Saul and Israel. He had warned the people that they would only benefit from a king who's humble and faithful to God. Otherwise, the kings of Israel will bring ruin. So he informs Saul that God is going to raise up a new king to replace him. And so Saul's downfall begins. As God, at the same time, is working behind the scenes to raise up that new king. It's an insignificant shepherd boy named David. 
he's the least likely candidate to be king. But the famous story of David and Goliath shows that God's choice of David is not based on his family status, but simply on his radical and humble trust in the God of Israel. And so this story embodies all of the themes of Hannah's poem. Proud Saul and Goliath are brought low, while humble David is exalted. From here, we watch Saul slowly descend into madness, while David rises to power. So David starts working for Saul as a general, and he's winning all of the battles, and he's also winning all of the fame. And so Saul gets jealous, and he starts chasing David around, hunting him, trying to kill him. David's done nothing wrong, and so David simply runs and waits in the wilderness. And here we see David's true character. He has multiple opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He simply trusts that despite Saul's evil, God will raise up a king for his people. What's interesting, too, is that many of the poems of David that you find in the book of Psalms are linked to this very period of his life, and they all express the same attitude of trust. And so this section of the book ends with Saul coming to a grisly death after losing a battle with the Philistines. First Samuel tells some of the most intricate, well-told stories you find anywhere in the Bible. And the characters Saul and David, they're portrayed very realistically. And the author's putting them forward as character studies so that you can find yourself in them. So in Saul's story, we see a warning. It's crucial that we reflect on our own character flaws and how they harm us and other people. And with God's help, we need to humble ourselves and deal with our dark side so that Saul's story doesn't become ours. David, on the other hand, is presented as an example of patience and trust in God's timing in our lives. And so he's running in the wilderness, being chased by Saul. David had every reason to think that God had abandoned him, but that's not what he thinks. And so David's story encourages us to trust that despite human evil, God is working out his purposes to oppose the proud and to exalt the humble. And that's what 1 Samuel is all about. All right, so I hope that was a a huge help as we talk about the life of Saul today and the life of David. And one of the things that I'd like to talk about today, if you're taking notes, the first point is this, that from from the, the life and the story of David, we learn that God cares about your heart, that God cares about your heart. So when God spoke through the prophet Samuel, to pick a new king for ancient Israel. We read these words. These are, these are famous words of the Bible. Something that, that we should talk with our kids about. Something that we should remember. We should write these words on our heart. First Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 says this. But the Lord saw Samuel. He said to him, don't, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Now, we know he's, he's talking about David's older siblings here. We'll, we'll get into that in just a few moments. He says, the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, young David wasn't the oldest. He certainly wasn't the tallest. He wasn't the best looking. He probably wasn't the smartest. He, he had older brothers. In fact, he was, he was the youngest of, of what's believed to be seven older brothers. And being the youngest, he, he would have had a lot of disadvantages in life. He wouldn't have been the, the people's choice, you could say, for the next king of Israel. But we read is that God chose him 
as the next king, not because of his outward appearance, not because of his achievements, the things that we like to see on on resumes today. God shows him because of his heart. You know, the Pharisees in the New Testament, their story is kind of the opposite of David's at this point. In fact, they worked extremely hard to be pure in their deeds, but their hearts were far from God. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, we read these words. It says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then again in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 26, Jesus says these words, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First, wash the inside of the cup and dish. Then the outside will become clean too. You know, the Pharisees were, were pros at looking the part. These guys would have had great resumes. They could nail the interview. They could speak really well, and they could impress people with their, their achievements in life. But their resume didn't match reality. You know, as a side note, this week I was curious um, to know some statistics about uh, resumes that people send in in our country. And here's one thing that I found. It says that 85% of Americans lie on their resume in some capacity. Did you know that? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yep, that was me. <laughs> people lie about their, their past education, how much education they have. They, they lie about their past experience, maybe the number of years or who you worked for. Uh, they lie about references. A lot of people won't put references that will actually give an honest uh, review. They'll maybe put friends or family on there and they'll pose as you know, someone that they worked for. And then the biggest thing is that a lot of people lie about their previous pay so that they can earn more money in their next job. And again, this is just a side note, but I would say that um, this is really the opposite of having um, the, the right motives, right? The unmixed motives. This is the opposite of having a pure heart. You know, when you read the New Testament, you'll notice that Jesus didn't spend the bulk of his time just addressing uh, wrong behavior, though. Luke 6, verse 45 says that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And what you say flows from what is in your heart. I think it's safe to say that Um, God cares so much about your heart today. He cares about the smallest details in life, but he cares about your heart. You know, when our culture qualifies a person or affirms a person based on what they see, like their appearance or their successes or maybe their, their failures, their social status, maybe how much money you make, when, when, when our culture qualifies or affirms you based on those criteria, we read that we have a God who qualifies and affirms based on your heart. He doesn't qualify based on the things that other people see. He affirms you based on your heart. The second thing that I want to talk about today is that a pure heart is not a divided heart. 
In, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, we read these words. It says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. You know, we talked about Saul a little bit. I'd like to, I'd like to talk about, or we talked about David. I'd like to talk about Saul just for a minute. You know, Saul became the first king of ancient Israel. And he really did, like the video talked about, he looked the part on the outside. He had great accomplishments. He was a pretty handsome looking guy. And, and the scriptures say that he was pretty kind, responsible, attentive at first, but that didn't last long. He quickly became proud. He stopped listening to God's instruction. He was extremely disobedient. And as we go back and we read not only First and Second Samuel, but most of the Old Testament scriptures, we see that obedience was really a, a core foundation that would build God's covenant with his people. It was built on obedience. And Saul's story teaches us that a pure heart is not a divided heart. Saul developed a divided heart, divided between obedience to God and what God would have him do and and divided between the world. Personal pleasure and things that would puff up and build up his name. Scripture tells us that Saul or that, that God wanted a king for Israel that would love God and that would help other people live their lives in a way that showed they loved the Lord. That they would genuinely love God with their lives. But instead, Saul grew to love himself. He grew to love his own accomplishments. You know, Saul had plenty of opportunities. Plenty of opportunities to turn from sin and to follow God with his life. But what we read is a, a slow fade. It wasn't just one big event. And it never is, church. It never is in any of our lives. It's always one, one small choice, one small decision that leads to another, that leads to another. It's a slow fade in our lives. And it was no difference in, in Saul's life as well. He moved further and further away from God. One, one story that we, we're all pretty familiar with, you know, after young David killed the, the giant Goliath, um, something you might not be aware of. It's kind of tucked in there pretty secretively. But we read how the Jewish women at that time ended up dancing in the streets in a victory parade. And this is some of the lyric to, to the song they were singing. They said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You know, because the people made more of this single victory that David had as opposed to all of Saul's past victories. We read how from that moment on, Saul developed this this hateful heart towards David. He plotted to to kill him everywhere he went. He, he, He basically came into this rage because he was the king. He should be the one getting the praise. He should be the one getting the glory, right? But that's not the kind of heart that, that God wants. Instead, of being obedient to God, instead of helping build up Israel to be a nation that loves the Lord, King Saul wasted most of his time chasing young David through the hill country where they lived. His ambitions were way off base. David, however, not being king at this point, he respected God's anointed king in Saul. And despite having several opportunities to actually take Saul's life, he held back. He practiced that meekness that keeps coming up in the Beatitudes, that power under control. Despite having several opportunities, he refused to kill Saul. 
This could also be a lesson on mercy from last week. You know, I would say that from Saul's life, we learn that a pure heart is not a divided heart. When God changes a heart, he, he, can, he can and does replace self-centeredness with selflessness. He replaces greed with, with generosity in our lives. He replaces a false sense of identity. You know, culture tries to define who we are as individuals. Again, based on what people see based on how we look, based on the achievements that we have in our lives, based on our social status, things like that. God can replace a a false sense of identity with security and a new identity in Jesus. We know what happened to Saul, but I would say this to you today, that I don't believe that there's any heart that is too far gone. There's no heart that's too far gone. But there's also a lesson to be learned from Saul's story, and that's that God wants us to depend on him. When we get into a pattern in our lives where we're not depending on God, and instead we're relying on our own strength, and we rely on our own wisdom, we open up the door to disaster in all areas of life. Disaster in our marriage. Disaster with our kids, disaster with with family, disaster in other relationships, disaster at work. You fill in the list. When we try to live life by our own strength and by our own wisdom, we open up the door to disaster. When our hearts are divided between God and the world, it's hard for God to use us the way that he's intended, the way that he's created for us to be used. I would say this morning that a pure heart is not a divided heart. The third main point that I want to talk about this morning is this, that while a pure heart is not a divided heart, a pure heart is also not a sinless heart. A pure heart is not a sinless heart. You know, David is known as the best king that ancient Israel ever had. Uh, But despite his, his stories of faithfulness, he's also known as one of history's greatest sinners. We didn't get to that part in the video for 2 Samuel, but he is. And, and when you arrive at 2 Samuel chapter 11, you begin to see some of the personal struggles in David's life. You begin to see some of the personal sin in David's life, the things that he wrestled with. And this comes after a time where he really helped restore uh, this nation to peace and build a strong military. After this, David's life becomes entangled in sin. We read about how he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And we know that Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah, who was one of David's soldiers. He was actually off fighting in war, which Scripture says is where David should have been. It starts off by saying that he was fighting in a time where most kings would go off to war with their men. David should have been there. And I would say that was probably one of the worst mistakes that he made, was to stay behind and not be with his people. And in doing so, it says one night he was walking on his balcony and he, and he saw a woman in the distance, and this was Bathsheba. And he couldn't take his eyes off of her. He, he, he started to develop, I would say, a little bit of a divided heart at that time. You know, it always takes two to tango. But I would also say this, that David used his authority as king to take advantage of Bathsheba. He betrayed the trust that he had in his own men who was off fighting a war that he should have been fighting by sleeping with his wife. And then 
to cover up his mistakes, to cover up the sin that he has in his life. And this is something we all do, right? We, we mess up. Maybe we think it's in a small way or a big way, but we try to cover our tracks. We try to cover it up so that other people don't know about it. Well, David took this to an extreme, and he actually put, put in the orders for her husband to be killed. That was his solution for covering up his tracks. We also read that God's word tells us that Bathsheba conceived a child because of this, this affair. So you're already seeing lives ruined. You're already seeing things untangle. It's a mess. There was a slow fade into sin in David's life, just like what happened in Saul's. And it didn't happen overnight. And in church, this, this is what happens in our lives as well. It never happens overnight. But we serve a faithful God. Amen? We serve a faithful God. And David's story doesn't end there. In fact, we read that God was not done with him. He, he had to live with the consequences of his, of his actions, just like we all do. His life was not easy moving forward. In fact, there was extreme turmoil throughout his family. His own country rebelled against him. He had to flee Jerusalem, and he ended up losing more of his own kids. But David was able to come to a place, because of the grace of God, of repentance in his life. His story shows us that while a pure heart is not a sinless heart, a pure heart, hear this, is a repentant heart. While a pure heart is not a sinless heart, a pure heart is a repentant heart. And this really is the difference between Saul's sin and David's sin. David recognized that he couldn't make it on his own, by his own strength, his own wisdom. It had only taken him as far as it could. And then he couldn't go any further. He needed God's strength. He needed God's forgiveness. And it's in David's repentant heart that you and I are given a picture of what a pure heart looks like. You see, church, even in Christ, we are still human. We still mess up. We're still sinners. And there's going to be times in our lives where we still trust in our own abilities, our own strength, our own wisdom. But a pure heart recognizes our need for God. A pure heart recognizes that God's strength and wisdom is what we need. A pure heart learns to grow through the difficult seasons of life with God's grace by learning to trust God more and more in our lives. You know, throughout God's word, David is actually known as a man after God's own heart. We see that in the Old Testament, but we also see that in the New Testament. And I'll just be honest with you this morning. I struggle with that a little bit. I'm human, when I see people mess up, I, I tend to be pretty judgmental at times, right? And I look at the life of David, and I see how he pretty much had his life together until a certain point, and then it, it all started going downhill from there. And I view his life like I view other people's lives sometimes. I get to be pretty judgmental, and, and I read these things, how, how God chose him because he was a man after God's own heart, and that New Testament writers affirm that, that David was a man after God's own heart. You know, David's life teaches us that a pure heart is not a perfect or sinless heart, but a pure heart is a heart that points towards God. And most importantly, a pure heart is a forgiven heart. 
you know, David's character, and I want you to hear this. This might be that one piece of nugget that you take with you today, depending on where you're at in life right now. But David's character was not defined by his failures. His character wasn't defined by his failures. It was defined by who God is and the love that he had for the Lord. So in closing today, I think there's a big question that we need to ask ourselves today. This isn't a collective thing. This isn't maybe a family thing. This is an individual thing. And that is, am I pure in heart? Am I what Jesus talks about in Matthew 5 verse 8? I think, I think there are three scriptural ways that we can examine our own lives today. Three ways that we can check our hearts. And the first thing is, is to look at my activities. And the question is, is, where do I invest my time and my money? Those are the difficult things to talk about. Where do I invest my time and my money? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, but instead store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. This week, as I was reading scripture and just praying about this message, I was confronted with the difficult truth that wherever we invest our time and our money, that is where our heart is. That's where our hearts are. And a great way to evaluate this, again, this is a very private thing. This is a very personal thing that you can do. A great way to evaluate this is by looking at your check stub or your bank account. And then look at your weekly calendar. Where we spend our time and money determines what is first in our lives. The second thing is that we can begin to look at my anxieties. Right? What, what do I worry about the most in life? Matthew six twenty five says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I actually thought about preaching on Matthew 6 this week. This is right after the Beatitudes. This is when you get into the Sermon on the Mount. And what you see are five of the most common anxieties or worries that we have in our lives. And it just basically lists them right there. It talks about finances. It talks about food. It talks about fitness, fashion, and future. They all kind of go to, uh, together with Fs. <laughs> and I would say that this morning, if these things consume our lives, if we worry about these things constantly, then they, they have already taken God's place in our lives. So if being pure in heart has a lot to do with our motives and having an undivided heart, these things tell us a lot about the state of our heart. We need to begin to look at our anxieties. The last thing is this. We need to look at our ambitions. We need to look at our ambitions. What are my goals? What are my hopes? What are my dreams and priorities in life? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. Remember, the, the old life is gone. You're new in Christ. You're a new creation. It says, Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not things of earth. For you died to this life. It's gone. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
You know, church, when we look at the stories found throughout God's word and when you hear about a testimony of someone coming to Christ by God's grace through faith, you always see and you always hear about a change in ambition after an encounter with Jesus like this. I would say this morning that our ambitions reveal the direction of our heart. Whatever our goals are in life, whatever our ambitions are, our priorities are, these become the gods in our life if Jesus isn't first. Setting our hearts on things above, focusing our lives on Jesus is the best cure for materialism. It's the best cure for temptation, and it's the best cure for worldly ambitions. Let's begin to look at our our ambitions in life. Well, I want to close with a scripture from the book of Psalms 32. That's kind of a theme today in the music that we sing and the video we watch and in the sermon today. Psalm 32, verse 1 through 6. If anything gives us a greater picture of what a pure heart is, I think it's, it's, it's in these words, as David writes. He says, Oh, what joy. Remember, that's kind of the constant theme for this series. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has completely cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And this is David talking. He says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and it groaned all day long. That's that feeling we get from trying to hide our sin. He says, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. And this is my favorite verse, I think. He says, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But finally, I confessed all my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. And now all my guilt is gone. Church, the the pure in heart are sinners whose sins have been forgiven by God's grace through having a personal faith in Jesus. So I guess the main question for today is this. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you received his free gift of grace? His free gift of forgiveness and salvation? Can you stay stand here to say today and say, "You know what? I am I am a sinner, but I'm a forgiven sinner." My hope is in the Lord. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Happy are the pure in heart. For they will see God.